Leadership Show with Andy Peck. Welcome to the show that helps you to lead according to God's purposes. You may be familiar with the idea that the English are a nation of shopkeepers. The expression was attributed to Napoleon Bonaparte, though no actual evidence that he ever said it. But it's more likely, perhaps, to be economist Adam Smith. But the point was made that the business of commerce and sales is something that's been the forefront of English and indeed British lives. As consumers, most of us delight with the variety of products available. But you will have noticed that modern marketing has given commerce a bad name. We hope to be manipulated by clever approaches. You're just trying to sell me something, we say, as if that's a bad thing. Furthermore, big business is a byword for companies only concerned about the bottom line of profit and little else. Well, thankfully, things are changing as consumers become concerned about how the products are sourced and the conditions in which manufacturers operate. So businesses are becoming more concerned with how they function. You will know that such approaches depend upon good leaders. Leaders set the standard, not just by what they do, but with who they are. So I'm delighted this week to be joined by Paul Hargreaves. He's a businessman who heads up Cotswold Fair, a business which sources the best artisan foods from 400 producers in UK and Ireland and distributes them to 1,700 retailers. And he's just started his first uh, food hall and restaurant called Flourish. He's the author of a book which focuses on the kind of leader that business needs. It's called The Fourth Bottom Line, Flourishing in the New Era of Compassionate Leadership. The book looks at the virtues required for leaders to lead in this kind of, of environment. So welcome to the show, Paul. Pleased to be here, Andy. So your journey to the business world, first of all. Yeah, slightly convoluted one. So uh, degree in zoology. Um, oh, well. Which, well, yeah, I, I, I didn't really want to be a zookeeper, so um <laughs> couldn't find anything to do with that. So I did three years in sales, selling office furniture for a year, and then coffee and tea machines for a couple of years. And, and that, that ended my, my years of gainful employment, actually. Um, I then went into the charitable sector um, in, in southeast London, working with uh, churches there. We planted a couple of churches in the Deptford um, area, Peckham, as well. Um, ran a team of about five of us, um, created a trust to help support us, but we started having children uh, amongst the team and realised we needed more money to, to live and started at that point to think, how, how am I going to do this? So started buying a few products from the, the Cotswold region and selling them to delis in the London area, and that's how... Cotswold Fair was born in a very, very small nutshell. Oh, thank you. It's, it's always always fascinating to hear the backstory. And and you called your book The Fourth Bottom Line. So presumably there are three other lines somewhere that you're going to tell us about. Yeah, so my first book was called Forces for Good, which was about businesses not just making profit, but doing some good in the world. Uh, and I believe businesses that are good for people and good for planet will actually in these days make better profits anyway so that was the first book and i intended it to have just three sections one on people one on planet and then the consequences which is more profit 
But as I was writing the book, I realized that it wasn't good enough to just set an intention to run a business differently, but it needed a personal change in us, um, in our, the way we lead, um, the style of our leadership, in order to truly transform business and truly transform the world through business. So I called that the fourth bottom line. The triple bottom line is a well-known phrase in kind of um, businesses that are a force for good. So I've added a fourth one, which I think we all need, which is increased compassion, um, all sorts of other characteristics, basically, as being better people, better leaders, and loving the world more. And and Paul Cotswold Fair is a called a B Corp company. Um, I didn't mention it in the introduction, as it would have required explanation. But am I correct in thinking you have received an independent certification? of your social and environmental performance. So that's kind of behind that phrase. Yeah. So it's along with the triple bottom line. So we, we were actually the, one of the first speed courts in, in the UK, 2015. I think it was 42 companies certified. So what is it? They're, first of all, companies that have changed their company law, which in, in this country is called the Articles of Association. No, the standard articles are that the company exists purely for the profit of the shareholders. And that's true in many other countries in the world. So you, you change that to existing for the benefit to all stakeholders, which includes shareholders, but it also includes the people that work in the businesses, the local community, the world community, people in the supply chain, and of course, the planet itself. So that's the first thing you've got to do. The second, is to reach a certain level of how good is this business for the world. And it looks at, at governance, workers, community, customers, and the environment. So you have to get a total score of, it happens to be 80, uh, to get over the line. And the third thing you need to do as a B Corp is every year produce a publicly visible impact report, which uh, is basically you saying, this is what we've done as a business to make the world a better place during the last year. So they're the three things. May sound easy, I don't know, but um, the, the score is quite difficult to get over. We thought we were quite a good business, but our first two certifications, we only scored 84, uh, which uh, is just over the, the 80 threshold. Uh, this last one, we, we have uh, done a lot better. We actually scored uh, just under 108 this time. Um, and the other thing that people need to know really is the bar gets higher each year. So it's not just, okay, we're a good business. Woohoo, let's stay where we are. The bar gets higher. So next time you recertify in three years' time, actually, it'll be a bit difficult. So maintaining a high score is actually quite tricky uh, unless you're continually improving, which at the time, I thought, oh, no, that's slightly discouraging. We only got 84 the second time, having got 84 the first. And we, got, we did loads of changes in those two years. But now I think it's probably one of the best things because it forces businesses to undergo continual change uh, for better. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes, I'm sure, to um, to have that sense of, of um, someone external to you coming in and analysing what you're doing. Yeah, it is a rigorous audit process and you can't say anything without producing evidence that that's what you're doing. So 
it's the evidence gathering, I think, it's the most onerous. I think we gathered about 195 pieces of evidence for our last certification, wow. <laughs> which is a lot of spreadsheets, let me tell Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... You, you, the book hints at the, the changes that are going on in society and in the way companies are looked at and viewed. Um, uh, I mean, have you been conscious of, of big changes in business? Or do you think you and your those others in this B Corp group are, are kind of trailblazing to some extent? And actually, by and large, business is still on the old bottom line of profit. A lot of businesses are. Yes, but there is a there is a direction of travel here, and it's driven by consumers. You know, people now, a lot of them, um, want to know about products, environmental credentials, and how the workers who make those products are getting treated in, say, Bangladesh or India, wherever the products are made. So there has been a general drift in this positive direction, but I do think the pandemic has rapidly speeded up uh, this process. So more, you know, people had time to think during the pandemic, thought about how they're consuming. And I think a lot more people now are making decisions on what to buy, who to buy it from, based on these better credentials, rather than just going, no, there is an inequality problem here because some people, unfortunately, aren't paid enough so they're always making decisions purely based on price that's another issue which we may get onto later but for those with choice and with a certain level of uh, income they are much more making decisions based on these these criteria so yeah i mean give you an idea pre-pandemic i think there was about 230 b corps and as i speak to you today there's about 550 now oh, wow. so there's been a rapid increase yeah. during the last 18 months. Wow. Um, and is, to some extent, is this driven by what I might call the younger generation, uh, the the kind of millennial generation who are typically a bit more altruistic, it would seem, want to, want to work in certain businesses and shun others, do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's obviously, I think, by next year or the year after, um, millennials will be half the workforce in the UK. So... It's both Gen Y millennials and Gen Z in terms of their purchasing decisions, but it's also about them being, I think, nearly half of the, the workforce now. So they don't want to work for a company that's all about making some fat cat even fatter. They want to work for companies that are doing some good in the world. So it's been noticeable for us, actually, how much easier it is for us now to take on much, much better people than it was so a couple of years ago um, and we would take on in total I think about 45 people in the last year and so fantastic quality and you know they've come from much bigger companies than us to work for us um, one lady that's starting today actually came from Morrison's supermarket and she's not getting higher salary I don't, I don't know whether it's higher or lower actually but um, she's coming because she wants to be part of a company that's doing some good in the world uh, rather than just, you know, making some shareholders rich. It, it, it's never been a great motivation for people to, to go to work is to make someone who's already very wealthy even richer, has it? So people much prefer to work for companies that are, are doing some good in the world. 
Fabulous. We're listening to The Leadership Show with uh, me, Andy Peck, joined this week by Paul Hargreaves. He's the author of The Fourth Bottom Line. He's the uh, heads up uh, Cotswold Fair, a business which sources the best artisan foods from producers in the UK and Ireland and distributes them to retailers. So, Paul, uh, I guess the last year has has had massive challenges for you in the kind of work that you're in i'm sure we could spend the rest of the show talking about them but you know how's it how's it been just in in headline form i mean for us generally the challenges have been positive because people have been shopping at their local independent retailers a lot more than they were the delis the farm shops even you know convenience stores and they're our customers so we've grown actually 50 percent in the last year uh, which obviously has its challenges but you know um, sometimes it's a little embarrassing to to have this conversation because i'm well aware that many other businesses it's been the worst trading period in their history so you know there are winners and losers and we're very fortunate to be on the winning side i think the biggest challenge for us was initially we had a load of people in our hq office most of them never worked at home in their lives. I mean, I, I always have, and a few other people have, but most people never worked at home, didn't even have laptops. Um, so we were <laughs> carting their equipment home for them so they could work at home. The initial challenge, we, we got over that. And, and then the next one was just to, you know, we have a really good, positive, fun culture. And I think another challenge was just maintaining that culture, even though, there's still some people I haven't actually seen for the last 18 months. And certainly for the new people coming into the business, it's a lot harder to kind of infuse that positive culture to them if you're not seeing them face to face. So we are moving forward and we're going to be um, letting everyone continue to work from home. But, you know, we will expect them to be in the office one or two days a week just to maintain that kind of collaboration side of the business. Sure. Um- so you've written the book, um, Paul, uh, The Fourth Bottom Line, which we've, we've talked about. Um, perhaps you can, um, you know, you, you've, you've given, gone with 50 <laughs> uh, different values that you unpack. Uh, and we just have, you know, 26-minute show. So um, but what, <laughs> would there be, um, can you select three? I mean, may, maybe this is like asking you your favourite child, but uh, <laughs> select three of, of those 50 that, that you might say were indispensable. Yeah, I I think the three I've chosen for this are all ones that probably reverse a lot of the stereotypes of leaders that many of us have in our heads. You know, we we have this view of leaders who are kind of up there somewhere telling people what to do, a bit of a stereotype. But, you know, most people in the street, they think of leaders, they think of prime ministers, presidents, etc. It's not the leadership that I think we need at the moment. So my three are vulnerability, being vulnerable. Um, You know, I have no problem showing my emotions, sometimes crying in in team meetings. And I think it's really important for people to to know that the the leader in the leaders in the business are human. They're the same as them. They're not up on a pedestal. They're not separate to them. And I think if you've got that humanity and that vulnerability, it makes it far easier for people to trust other people in, in making decisions. 
that's number one. Number two, servant-like. Um, you know, there's a lot of leadership now that is the opposite of that. Um, just to give you an example, the new lady in the office, and the first day I was there, I made her a cup of tea uh, and brought it to her. And she said, not that that's a great act of service, by the way, it's just normal, but just to show you how bad it is out there in the corporate world, she said no one in, in management in her working life, and she's she's not a spring chicken, no one had ever made her a cup of tea, which I, it beggars belief to me, but, you know, that's how bad the lack of servanthood is, is in our business world, I think. And the third one I've chosen, which, yeah, was difficult, but compassion really runs through the whole book. It's in the, the subtitle of the book. And, you know, if we had more compassion for people in the world, most of whom are far, far poorer than we are, if we had more compassion for the planet itself and the life that lives on this planet, we wouldn't be doing half the things we're doing. We wouldn't have run our businesses like we have for the past 200 years. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're my difficult three but the other 47 are just as important sure well i i had sorry i had to force you to to, to narrow them down so vulnerability as uh, servant like and uh, and compassion three three fabulous uh values and virtues that we we'd all love to have um so do you think there, are, there is an appetite amongst business leaders to be the right kind of person or do you think they would they're basically paying lip service to that kind of thing, and in, in, in bottom line is they don't they don't particularly care as long as they get the job done. Well, with, with anything, there's there's going to be a spectrum, but mm. I think I think there is a greater awareness that we need something different. There's a probably greater revulsion about those egocentric type leaders that we've all probably run across mm. in the past. Um, and there's probably, again, pandemics probably helped with this. There's, there's a sense now that people are realising more that good leadership isn't about running around like a headless chicken. Uh, it's about stepping back. It is about more being more reflective. Um, a lot of leaders now are, are you know, doing some meditation in the morning, having time out, going for walks. And, and it's we've had this thing, particularly in the West, that unless we're madly busy the whole time, we're not being productive. It's absolute nonsense. You know, the best leaders are those who actually do less, but probably achieve more because they're they're making better decisions. They're leading with their intuition. You know, they're understanding their people's emotions and and developing empathy. So, I think there is a greater awareness. I mean, there's a there's a guy in this village who it's a coach to very well some very well known. Um, CEOs of big companies in the UK and he he has noticed a big change in in what they're coming to him with and um, I, I've got hope that things are changing people that would say what I've just said are probably still in the minority but I do think there's a there's a drift in a positive direction here sure well I mean the word servant leadership is 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 spoken of in textbooks as as a as a virtue, a value, a way of leading outside of any Christian context. So I guess in that sense, yeah. uh, it's it's within the within the realms of possibility that some people are valuing it. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot now, Paul, and and say, you, you know, 50 virtues. Are there any that you would say, yeah, I, I exhibit? And you wonderfully 
illustrated being servant-like and making cups of tea, you know, <laughs> um, without, without, without it being a big, big deal. But um, any, any of the particular ones you think, yeah, that's, well, I've got that, or at least I'm, I'd like to think that's one. And, and then, you know, just for the sake of humility, ones that you're still working on. <laughs> this, no, there you are. This is this is a good question. I didn't um, <laughs> scratch my head for a bit, and and it's obviously difficult to to answer the positive ones because mm. I can always think I could yeah. be a lot better in these areas. But um, generosity. I mean, I think I'm fairly generous at heart in in both time uh, and money, and you know, we we try to be generous with those that work for us. Um. Playful is another one that I'm, I, I think I'm quite good at. Um, in fact, someone who sales director started working for us um, about a year ago, um, he said to me recently, he said, I've never been to a meeting at Cotswold Fair when there isn't laughter. Hmm. I thought, oh, fantastic. That's such, I'm so pleased you said that because... Yeah. I don't think about that. Yeah, yeah. And then you think back at it. There is always some laughter in our meetings. I mean, if we if we if we can't have fun at work, where can we? To be honest with you, we're spending mm. a third of our lives there. Um, and the third one I've chosen is is contentment. You know, um, it's very much not what I used to be. Um, I think as you get older, uh, less of my value is probably tied up in in what I do, and I've learned to be content whatever happens really and i think that's um that's important just this you know especially with social media there's so much um the fear of missing out fomo um i think if we can learn something called jomo it's we're going to be much happier people that's the joy of missing out knowing that someone else is doing something great good for them mm. i'm very happy doing what i'm meant to be doing right now and that's uh, the joy of missing out on what other people are doing Brilliant, Paul. And and any that you're aware that you're still working on? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm I'm from a um, quite an emotionally dysfunctional family. Um, so empathy isn't something that comes naturally to me. Um, you know, feeling what others are feeling, getting alongside them when they're having a tough time. That's something I'm definitely still working on. And probably another one there is is collaborative. Um, I've learned to be collaborative, but I think probably my natural inclination is to sometimes try and do stuff on my own when actually um, it's much, much better if uh, if you get other people to do it with you. Um, so there they would be, be two there. And, and I know the third one actually is um, hospitable. I think, you know, every time, which hasn't been recently, of course, but every time I'm in another culture in another part of the world, I just think we are so inhospitable in this country, you know, uh, Africa, Asia. They just know how to to do that hospitality thing so much better than ours and make make people feel welcome in their homes. I think that's something for for all of us to to learn to be better at. Well, thank you for your candor, Paul. That's much appreciated. Um, So just as we come to a close, any particular books that um, have been a particular help to you, either for the book you've written or in general that you'd want to recommend to those who are in the lead, in a leadership role or are aspiring to be leaders? Yeah, well, I, I looked at who are the leaders that people most remember back in, you know, back from a while ago. Um, and there's many more than this. You know, Mother Teresa w- was one. 
Gandhi was another. Nelson Mandela, I think, you know, every business leader or every leader of any kind can learn so much for him. So the book is The Long Walk to Freedom, which is his autobiography, which is um, is a mammoth read, actually. In fact, you can see it on the shelf behind me, but I've read it <laughs> twice now. And uh, there's so much in there um, that is transferable into, into the business world. Fabulous. Well, terrific, Paul. It's it's fabulous to talk to you. So that's called The Fourth uh, Bottom Line. How can people get a, a copy of your book? Yeah, so it's available on all the online book channels. It's in paperback, ebook, and there's a audible version as well, which is also on iTunes. So, yeah. And uh, those looking for Cotswold Fair, how, would they, how might they find products? Are there any particular mainstream um, stores? Or I, I suppose by their very nature, it's going to be smaller... Yeah, I mean, we supply most of the farm shops in in the UK, um, a lot of delis, a lot of garden centres, um, and then, of course, our own shop, which is called Flourish. So that's the kind of best um, showroom, if you like, of all, of all our products. But most of the brands we sell, most people wouldn't have heard of because they tend to be small and artisan and not in the supermarkets. So that's, that's the joy of the business, really, to Indeed. be honest with you. It's uh, finding all this nice new stuff that no one knows about. Yeah, I, I discovered in my conversation with you that some of the flour that I buy for making bread comes originally from you, which was wonderful to hear. So there we go. Yeah, Terrific. Well, thank you so much for, for all you shared and for your candor about uh, the, the challenges you face, and um, but also, you know, celebrate with you on the good things that have happened in and through you. So thank you, Paul. Great. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Paul Hargreaves. And of course, it was a good reminder that we can fret about whether we're doing the right things as we lead, but it's who we are that really counts in the long term. So why not get a copy of Paul's book and look at the 50 values and virtues that he expounds there? And maybe you can ask whether you exhibit those qualities or not, and which you may need to work on, God helping you. You may be aware that we have many archived leadership shows online ready for you, either via Premier's own website or via the podcast on which you're listening to this. So do check these out and continue to grow your own leading through the wisdom of others. In the meantime, may you know much grace as God draws near and enables you to serve him where he has placed you, however apparently as small or great your influence may be. This is Andy Peck. Looking forward to your company again soon. The Leadership Show with Andy Peck. Email andy.peck at premier.org.uk.